Hey, welcome to the Mana Sculpting Podcast. It is uh, May 18th, and this is episode 6, uh, a couple weeks after the new Phyrexia release. Actually, just one week after the new Phyrexia release. Uh, Trevor Isham here with Wally Bullard. How's it going? And uh, we're going to bring you another episode of Great Talk about uh, mostly competitive standard magic with a little touches on limited. Uh, so we'll kick it off with a little talk about uh, the release that Wally attended and then get into some standard decks that are uh, kind of warping the format and then talk about some cool interactions that New Phyrexia has brought us um, with some pretty sweet cards uh, that you may want to think about putting in a deck list. So Wally, why don't you kick it off talking about the uh, release you attended. Alright, I went to the release event at Lake Geneva Games in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the same place that we did the pre-release. Uh, he did the same format where, you know, it's you play three rounds of Swiss, cut the top four, and, you know, play for a box. Uh, I went 2-0-1 in the Swiss, drawing to, you know, make sure that both of us made the top four. We played it out, and I ended up winning, which was nice. And then we, uh, we just kind of split the box like we always do. Um, yeah, it's a pretty sweet deal. Played- it's like, what... 15 packs for $25. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that most <laughs> days. Um, I just played Blue Black Infect, um, which sounds a little strange, but I played uh, my bomb, my really bomby card for Phyrexian Ingester and Enslave. And I also had Blighted Agent, Vile Drake, and Stratocide. And at one point, I was playing against a black deck, and I had black in my deck, and I had my Stratocide on my Blighted Agent and got to attack with 9 on blo- or 10 unblockable insects to win uh, round 1, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, equipment on the Blighted Agent seems really good. Yeah, he's a... The more I play with him, the better he seems. I mean, he's not as good as Viral Drake, right? Because he dies to more. Yeah. But... But if you get some you equipment get him play, on him pretty amazing. quick, yeah. I mean, if you get his power above, you know, four or above, then he becomes, you know, pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. So, what was the best thing you were able to steal with Enslave? Well, I took a Carnifex Demon. <laughs> okay, which, you win. Which was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I just won. Um, and then, well, actually, the next turn he played uh, Steel Hellkite. And I was like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do, right? And then I realized that I have seven mana and Phyrexian Ingester, so I just took it <laughs> and, sw- and swung for the win. Um, I used Enslave a lot. Like, I was really far enough ahead where I could use Enslave to take their last blocker to swing for lethal. Yeah. And there was one time that I was on the kill him with damage plan, and I didn't have lethal. I was actually one short. So I had ens- I had enslaved their guy, and so I said go, and he took a damage and lost the game. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> enslaved is actually really you know, I, I knew it was going to be good, right? Control effects are like my control effects are really good. Um, yeah, and there's and a lot of them right now too. To get, yeah, to get it in black, I would pay one. Yeah. Yeah, it seems really good. I mean, like, there's a lot of them right now, like Mind Control, Volition Reigns, Corrupted Conscious, Enslave, I mean, Active Aggression. So, it's definitely something to keep looking out for. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I, I 
Cool. Well, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Again, it was a great format. I didn't have to play a whole day of Magic to win a box. I got to play three rounds, you know, and depending on who's in the top four, you know, you either want to play to beat them, but it was, you know, people I knew, people that I played with a lot. So if you decided to just split it and go home. It's a good way to do it. And I opened a car and added my bride bags. That's another good way to do it. <laughs> so I, I just ended up winning. So. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. It's a good format. I hope that he does more that are like that. Yeah, I I, uh, I just hope we play a lot more New Phyrexia because it seems like a really fun set, and I got a couple boxes still to open, so hopefully some Triple Phyrexia sealed or draft and sealed and lots of fun. Yeah. So there was also a big Star City Games event down in Orlando, uh, standard tournament, pretty competitive field, uh, kind of a lot of the regulars, you know, Jerry Thompson, Nick Spagnola. Drew Levin, Burton Cheney, you know, kind of a lot of the regulars were there. Um, and then, of course, uh, the winner was Edgar Flores. Uh, who the can, master. Yeah. Edgar the master Flores. Yeah, Edgar the Cawblade master Flores. Um, he, again, piloted blue-white uh, Cawblade, and he had a re- pretty interesting take on it. And this is just a couple of days after we named Gideon, like, one of the most powerful cards in Standard. And here, Edgar Flores kind of blows our minds and plays a blue-white cowboy deck without Gideon Jura. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even have it in the sideboard. It just, it just <coughs> seems... I mean, it just seems wrong. I mean, I know obviously it's not. He did something very right, but it just... Yeah, I, I mean, I think basically he said uh, tapping out for five mana just seems like a bad play when I can play all these super efficient you know, removal or bounce spells. And and the, the way I was kind of thinking about it is basically, like, Edgar Flores took Cobblade and, like, turned it into, like, a pseudo-legacy deck where, like, the top of his mana curve was four. And that's Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> and, you know, I don't like guessing, but, like, I think, like, yeah, like, 80% of his cards cost less than two. Uh, I mean, the other, the only other cards, you know, that, like, are the swords and batter skull, but, like, you, you never pay for those, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, as far as cards he's actually going to cast, you know, for, for their full mana cost, not that, you know, maybe he did with batter skull once or so, but main deck was Jace, and he had one, and there had two Sun Titans in the sideboard, so, I mean, that's a low curve. Yeah, no, he took his curve way down, and I respect him for doing that. I mean, I think it's a really innovative take on the deck. Um, if you're playing in a super competitive meta, um, you know where Callblade's gonna be, you know, a dominant deck because it's so good. Um, it obviously dominates the mirror match you know, with this number of, you know, like efficient removal spells, and that many. I mean, what's kind of overlooked is he has eight main deck counter spells. Um, and with that many, like, he just can afford to sit back. Like, I watched a few of his matches, and he just sat back and countered everything. Like, he didn't like, have to wait to just counter the relevant stuff. Like, he could just counter whatever he felt like. Um, it just seemed to be a very powerful position to be in. So, and anyone yeah. who plays six Jaces has my vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, I love the three into the Royals. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's, like, another card where I felt like, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm kind of seeing a legacy deck. Like, you know, bounce spells, not super popular, you know, in standard, but he kind of, you know, did it and, you know, showed people how relevant that spell is and whether you're casting it for two or casting it for four, like, it's still a ton of value, you know, especially when, you know, you're inner rolling, you know, and then countering, yeah. <laughs> countering whatever you, you know, bounce, or just putting through some sword damage and then untapping everything and, you know, then countering, and it just seems really good. Into the Royal seems good against the Splinter Twin deck. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if running three of those was a nod to the note quantity of there is going to be this deck and it is going to be powerful. I think so. I mean, I think it answers a lot of Cobblade's biggest, you know, challenges. Like, I mean, Koth... Uh, opposing Gideons, uh, you know, the combos that are out there, like, in the world is a very flexible answer for all of those things. So, and then also, you know, in the mirror match, like, you know, it bounces, you know, their equipped guy, you know, pretty efficiently, especially when a lot of people think, you know, they're good to go, and so they kind of tap out, you know, in the face of, you know, thinking they're going to be able to untap, so... The other thing that quickly became very apparent from watching these matches and, and reading players' reports on the whole tournament was that Batter Skull is as real as everyone has said it was going to be. It's completely broken, and it just does ridiculous things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've been playing around with it. And even if I don't get to cheat it in, it seems like I'm doing something illegal I mean really because even if they you know they have to answer with artifact removal or it's just a waste of time yeah. for them I'm just going to equip it to something else yeah, bounce think, it play I think, it again I think it was Jerry Thompson that ran three of them in his main deck and one in the sideboard of his dark blade list so I mean he clearly grasped the power that four batter school you know is completely a legitimate strategy <laughs> So I just don't think there's any way to underestimate the idea of a turn three, you know, four four, <laughs> vigilance lifelink creature. Yeah, it is crazy good. That that, that can't be countered too. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you're violating it in, and then they have to deal with the equipment, or else you'll just ship it back to your hand and play it play it again. Yeah, and the vigilance is incredibly, you know. Uh, you know, worthwhile to note too because you know you can bash and then still block you know their next sorted guy as long as it's not feast and famine but you know like that that is relevant it also has vigilance um removing yeah. it just seems very troublesome <laughs> i like it because it <coughs> drastically outraces a sorted hawk yeah exactly you know, because it gains you four life on your turn if they have a ground game it gains you if they have a ground game, it can give you four life on their turn, and they're hitting you for three, so you're up five life every time you, you know, pass your turn, you're up five. So Edgar Flores, he ran the blue-white list. Now, the other um, the other deck that kind of came out of that, you know, as far as uh, kind of an innovative approach, not, not a new deck, but was the Dark Blade list. Um, being championed by, you know, Jerry Thompson, Drew Levin, and, and their kind of crew, if you will. And 
essentially what they did is that they, a lot of lists, cut Squadron Hawk and decided to play Vampire Nighthawk um, in place of that, which was basically a nod to saying, well, we'll just kind of one-up the Squadron Hawk um, so that when we get ours equipped, you know, it, it no longer loses the Hawk battle or the Hawk trades. Um, and can even, you know, effectively kind of block a batter skull and, and slow that strategy down as well. Um, and then also, of course, fighting Stoneforge Mystic, kind of the only way to do it at this point is with discard spells, and particularly, you know, one mana costed discard spells, because, you know, Doomblading it isn't, it doesn't really help you out much because they still got the card advantage of getting the equipment anyway. So they still got their two for one. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's just that's even that's an inefficient method of, of dealing with a Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. So I, I thought that was an interesting list. I thought, you know, they were, they were clearly stretching the mana base, um, you know, playing every duel they could. I mean, they even made room, though, somehow, for an Inkmoth Nexus in the list, which seemed crazy to me. But they were able to make it work. And uh, just definitely another list to keep in mind. And uh, I've had a lot of success when I played that list. Uh, you know, equipping the Creeping Tar Pit is highly successful to equip that with the, you know, Sword of Feast and Famine. And it allows you to get in, untap all your lands... Um, it just it's a very it kind of efficient way to do that um, and still leave up counter magic. <coughs> so yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a back, it's a real back. I mean we all know that cobbled and variants are, are known quantity. Yeah. And it's starting to get scary. Yeah, yeah, I mean it continues to dominate. Uh, continue to be talk about banning Stoneforge Mystic, uh, especially now that people are seeing how powerful Batter Skull is. Um, so I think that's going to be a continued conversation. I personally don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's a conversation they're going to continue to have. I personally hope they just release a ton of them out into the field, drive the prize down, everyone can play with them, and that way we get to keep them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that, but because <laughs> I think it would it would ruin me to not have Stoneforge. <laughs> so the decks that kind of emerged, we saw it coming, but they had their coming out party at, at this kind of tournament was the um, you know Splinter Twin Exarch Deceiver Exarch combo. Um, you know, kind of going infinite with Deceiver Exarchs off of Splinter Twin, you know, to win that turn. So there was kind of two shells. <coughs> Excuse me, that uh, were most popular, and there was either playing it in a Grixis build, where you play with some removal, um, some targeted discard, um, you know, perhaps a Jace the Mind Sculptor, um, some mana leaks, some counter spell kind of stuff, um, to kind of protect your combo and, and to get it out efficiently. Um, or you, or the um, the most innovative build that I saw was the Rug um, Twin Exarch deck that basically just took Rug. And threw those, I think he only actually had three Splinter Twins, so threw those seven cards into it. And just said, well, I'll just normally win by Rug, but every once in a while I'll just run somebody over with my combo. And then the other cool thing to think about in that list is that you can always Splinter Twin your Inferno Titan, which just makes for fun magic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to have a hat deal three damage 
And then deal three more when you're back. <laughs> and then another six if they don't have any blockers left. <laughs> yep. Or, or five will be there. <laughs> yeah, or more. <clears throat> so, again, um, the combo, I think it was, what is it, uh, three decks in the top eight? Or two decks? Two decks in the top eight, I think, with this the C-Rex art combo. Um, so definitely, obviously, something that needs to be on your radar. Um, it clearly works. Um, and I'll let Wally take this one, but we uh, saw an article today that covered the best way to turn this combo on its head. We've covered a couple in the past, you know, counter spells, discard, and removal spells that beat the combo or stall it. But this one actually flips it around to your advantage. Yeah, this is a act of aggression, which is a new card. It's an uncommon. It's red. It's three and two Phyrexian red mana. So you know, three and two red, or three and four life, or some weird combo there in between. And it's instant speed. Active treason is kind of the best way to explain it. You get to untap the guy, and it's an instant. Um, so the way this works is. They say, you know, like they go to their, in their main phase, they make, you know, a million dudes. You know, because they have to pick a number. You can't just say infinite. So they, you know, whatever number they pick, you know, a million. They make a million dudes. You're like, okay. They go, okay, you know, declare attackers. Okay, they attack. You take the original Splinter Twin Exarch with active aggression and untap it. So that's what it lets you do. You make a million and one dudes, you know, with the last one guy, you untap the original X-Arc, and you make all your blocks, and all their guys die, and, you know... Well, they don't die, they just trade. (laughs) Oh, they they don't, yeah, nothing really happens, right? It just sits there. Yeah. And then... (coughs) So then, at the beginning of your end, so they declare their end step, (laughs) you still have their Splinter Twins X-Arc in play. And so you respond to the unstep <laughs> and make a million dudes or a billion dudes if you want to one-up them. <laughs> and because yeah, of the way so Splinter Twin is worded, the copies are exiled at the beginning of the next end step in much the same way Mimic Vat is worded so that all of those dudes then stick around for your next turn. So. Which just lets you swing in for a million, or a billion, exactly. or a million billion, depending on the number you pick. And you use, of course, you use the last Exarch to tap down the original Splinter Twin Deceiver Exarch um, so that you give it back to them tapped so they can't, you know, combo you back. <laughs> yeah. So kind you of have to make sure that it's that it's tapped when you tap it. Because what you can do actually is make a bunch of guys. And your la- the last one you make, don't target the original. Target you know, let's say they have some other random blocker. You target that, and they tap that, and they have not that they're going to be able to block, you know, a billion damage. But it could be maybe they have a palace guard in play and can block all your creatures. Yeah. Well, what uh, we just think this is a really fun way to basically poop all of your opponent's face <laughs> because they're pretty confident they've just won with their little combo and they made a lot of dudes 
and in reality, they just lost. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a card that not only <coughs> stops the combo from working, but turns you into the combo player. <laughs> yeah, it's always and fun. The thing about combo is you're not supposed to lose after your combo goes off. Yeah, it's always right? fun when you... Well, yeah, when you're able to, a deck only has one purpose, and that's to combo, and you take that combo and then turn it on its head <laughs> with just one card. <laughs> so an uncommon, by the way. Yeah, so please, so, uh, if you have this, if you decide to start playing with your sideboard, if you turn somebody on their head, so to say, please write us about it, let us know, and we will give you a shout-out on the next cast. Uh, I'll about take how pictures you... of their face when you beat them. Yes, please take That's a picture. That's what I want to see. I want to see a picture of them just shocked that you just killed them with their combo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the important thing about the way to win here is that you can play it in any color. Yeah, exactly. It's just That's what cost... the Rexy Man is letting us do. It's letting us do ridiculous. Letting us play Tezzeret's Gambit Mono Red. Yeah. You know, a draw spell in Mono Red. Stuff like that that breaking down the color barriers it's great fun and you can play active aggression in any deck and just beat their combo yeah exactly so definitely looking forward to doing that hopefully um i hope i don't ever have to so moving on a little bit so one card that we talked about before i think actually i talked about a little bit definitely pretty excited about it um and uh, i'm going to claim a little props here i think i was a little bit right is spell um, it was featured yeah, yeah. in the Exarch decks, uh, it was in the sideboard of many Callblade decks, and was a deck that, as Nick Spagnola wrote in his article, I'm just quoting him, is one of the most powerful two-drops we've ever had in Magic, ever. Um, which is definitely saying something, considering Stoneforge Mystic is currently in the same set. But he actually said, yeah, that's what he said. I won't speak to that, but if a you know pro tour quad caliber player is saying that sort of thing is about the creature, you know it's it's time to to take a little bit of notice. Um, it can be used to protect your combo. It can be used to protect your Stoneforge Mystic, your Squadron Hawk if you feel like it, your Germ Token if you feel like it. Um, or as Nick wrote, you can just equip your Batter Skull to it. <laughs> And at that point, it becomes a 4-8 Vigilance, like, lifelink, blah, 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 blah. So, does it have flying? It doesn't have flying. Oh, for so some I reason I thought it had flying. I just the picture. Yeah, it becomes a 4-8 Vigilance lifelinker that is pretty hard to kill. That's a lightning rod. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's the thing I thought of at first when I saw it, was that it's just a lightning rod. Like, it literally... Lightning bolts. <laughs> yeah, it is lightning bolts all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, you pay two life. Like, if they target you with a bolt, you pay two life to... I mean, essentially, you just gain a life, right? You pay two life to have a target this instead. Yeah, um, exactly. Right, if they're your creature, same thing. You just eat it and save your good creature. Save your stone bolt, or your hawk, and then go to kill it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it just it just is like a perfect protection card. It eats a lot of spells. Um, that can kind of like throw them off at critical junctures. Um, and, I, I, and it's also a great defensive creature. Like it gets in the way of a lot of you know early drops, uh, just like Wall Womans did. So I expected to see a lot of play 
in a lot of decks. Yeah, I got my fourth one today, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm still uh, still working, and I think I just have two, so gotta gotta crack some more packs, I guess. We'll get there. <coughs> Yeah, so that's been one surprise card. Another card, um, just to kind of keep on the radar, um, coming up is uh, Mirren Crusader. Um, Wally and I were talking about this before the cast, but its interaction with Sword of War and Peace. We'll kind of let that sink in for a while, and thinking about the fact that it has double strike, which means that it effectively does 16 damage, maybe, <laughs> and you'll gain 8 life. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it easily deals 16 damage. I mean, it's dealing 12, right, just in combat damage. Well, 8. Oh, 8, that's right. Yeah, it's a 4-4. Four, okay, four. Yeah, 4-4 four, four double striker, and then, you know, if they have 4, or you have 4 cards in hand, or they have 4 cards in hand, that's another 8. So that's 16, and then you gain 8. And then it's, well, it's double whatever you have in your hand, because it's... Yeah, so if it's four and four, you know, you'd gain eight, and they would lose sixteen. So it's a twenty-four, twenty-four point life swing. <laughs> so seems pretty good. <laughs> Definitely something that you'd want to have happen. And if kind of mono white weenie becomes a deck, that's a combo that would end games very quickly. And considering it effectively has protection from everything except for blue at that point <laughs> it's a pretty powerful combo <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> which I actually didn't even think about until I just <laughs> said that was wow it not only does that but it also has protection from everything except blue <laughs> that's pretty sweet I think there, there might be room for that in a knight deck if knight plays Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, well, I was I mean, just thinking... We've been, we've been talking about trying to get, you know, Knights has been so close for so long. And we, I mean, we have the new Knight now, the Pure Steel Paladin, that lets you equip stuff mm -hmm. for zero if you have Metalcraft. I mean, talk about an efficient equip cost. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even just, like, pairing it with Stoneforge Mystic as a card draw, you know, option, because that's something Knights seem to be lacking was, you know, some card draw, some late game. So, I don't know, pair, pair that with some protection, and, and you're pretty much there. <laughs> so, um, anyway, you, uh, moving on, we uh, want to talk about some of the rules questions you've been getting from some of our listeners, so why don't you take it away with a few of those as our resident rules expert. Okay. Uh, the first question I got this week was, it just, essentially it was just spell skype with a question mark. You know, they want to know what you can do. What can it do? Yeah, considering uh, I had many people at the pre-release look at that card and be like, oh, it does that? <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I had to explain many times, no, it, it doesn't let you steal their equipment. It do, You know, it doesn't eat their go for the throats. There's just, I mean, it's, it's a good card. You just, there's certain things you can't do with it. You can't do anything, you know, you can change the target, so as, as long as the effect or the spell says the word target, which is very crucial, because a spell doesn't target unless it says target. So if it if it has a target, you can change that spell to spell cut. You cannot, however, make 
the other player target an illegal effect. So if you play, if they play Go for the Throat, which can't target artifact creatures, you can't switch it over to Spellskite. If they go to equip their creature, you can't switch it over to Spellskite because they can't equip your creatures. It's against the rules of the game, you can't make them cheat. Yep. It's basically Spellskite has to be a legal target of the spell that was cast in order for the effect to work. Exactly. Otherwise, you know, the you've just paid two life. Yep. So, so that's that's one question. And now another one I see all the time, which a listener also um, emailed in, was the use of uh, spell bombs. The uh, you know the spell bomb uh, cycle from Scars and Mirrodin. So why don't you take that one away? And I think this one originally comes from a functionality standpoint and the Horizon spell bomb. The question is, you know, in what order do you do it? Well, the stack works is last ability in, first ability out. So you pay the cost to sack it, it goes into the graveyard, and then you pay the green mana to draw a card. So the first thing you do is just rip it off backwards as you draw the card, which is actually good because it lets you, like if you draw a land of one color, it lets you know, oh, I don't need to go search for that. Because it would just be a beating to get two of the same land when you didn't need that. So, with spell bombs, you draw first, because the odd ability goes on the stack last. Bingo. Now, this is something that I know the next one came up in an FNM match you had uh, regarding, uh, what was it now? Uh, uh, your trader, Bizarre Trader. Yep. And Bizarre Trader and Necropede. Yep, and so this is a uh, so this is another this is a great question because this is definitely it's a little confusing uh, when you first think about it, um, especially for newer players who kind of don't understand uh, the difference between controlling and um, owning. So this is a great this is a great one to answer. Go ahead. Yeah. So when we'll just use Necropede example. When you're controlling a creature, when you control an opponent's creature, and it goes to a graveyard, or the graveyard, which is how it's worded. When it goes to the graveyard, it says you may put a counter on, you know, or you may do something. So in the case of Necro, you put a minus one, minus one counter target creature. The you, in the in the rules text, in the card text there, refers to the card's controller, not the owner. And it doesn't specify, you know, what it goes to someone, you know, because it always goes to the owner's graveyard. So the confusion is, well, if it goes to their graveyard, don't they get the ability? But it wasn't their creature when it hit the graveyard. It was yours. You controlled it, so you get the ability. So when all those enter the, you know, leave the battlefield, enter the graveyard effects, if unless it specifically says owner, the you in the card text is the controller. And basically, the rules text that supports that. Is a, as the card enters the graveyard, it uses last known information, which means that the last place it was was on the battlefield under the controller of player X. Therefore, player X controls any of the enters the graveyard trigger abilities. Exactly. So, <laughs> the other card that's really interesting, created all sorts of fun situations, um, is Malyra. Um, we've Silvok Outcast. Um, so why don't you talk about a couple of those, because you kind of found some really fun uses for her. Yeah. 
Um, Malira. Why don't you read the card first? Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna read the. I'm gonna flip over to it here. Do you have it pulled up? I actually have it. Uh, I think I have it pulled up. If you want. No, I have it here. Okay. Malira Silbuck Outcast uh, is a green creature, one green, one color, with a legendary creature, Human Scout. She's a two-two. What she does is you can't get poison counters. Creatures you control can't have minus one minus one counters placed on them, and creatures your opponents control lose infect. So what it does is it you know kind of it shuts down counters and infect on one sided. So there's a couple fun interactions that I was approached with you know just questions of how it works with these cards. Uh, one of them is card effects demon. First thing, the well, first thing I have to say is if you have Malira out and you play a Carnifex Demon, it will not come into play with its minus one minus one counters on it. You can't, you know, your creatures can't have counters placed on them, so it won't get its two counters, which means that you're not going to get the removal ability. Yep. So. But if you play the Carnifex Demon first and then Malira, then when you remove the counters from your demon, your creatures cannot get them placed on them, and because the demon puts it on all cre- all other creatures. So your creatures are free to go. Mm-hmm. So a really so cool play, I saw at a PTQ once, just as talking about Carnifex Demon, was I actually saw someone proliferate the counter on their demon so that they could then take uh, you know more of them off to kill all the other creatures on the board. Just kind of a cool side note of things that you can do with Carnifex Demon I think people don't really think about sometimes. Yeah, he's not just a big body that comes into play with some counters on it. He's a removal spell that turns it into a big body. Mm-hmm. And then he can also so. effectively block infect creatures, and then you know in turn you know wipe the board again, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's always fun. On that same note, Malira plus Etch Champion. Etch Champion is the mythic rare uh, artifact from this set, or not. Edge Champion, Edge Monstrosity, and it it's a 10-10 for 5 colorless mana that comes up with 5 minus or minus 1 counters on it. So if you have Malira out first, and then play your Edge Monstrosity, you get a 10-10 for 5 mana, which is pretty efficiently costed. Yeah, <laughs> just slightly. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's, another, it's another like little funky combo, but it's fun. Yeah, another one that's been uh, really popularized is the uh, Malira uh, Phyrexian Unlife. Yeah. Right, where you basically can't lose at that point unless they remove either of the pieces. Yeah, you, you, you put them on a pretty good soft lock. Once you're below zero life, all damage is dealt to you in the form of infects. You're taking poison damage. Well, you can't take poison damage with Malira in play so they deal zero damage yeah. all the time so it's uh it's very similar to um what's the card in scars the uh the big guy who you know you, you can't change life basically is what that card says oh platinum and Pyrion. <laughs> yeah you can actually it's a little different because it's one-sided again you can gain life but you can no longer lose life so and the important thing to remember here is that you have to be at zero life for this to work. <laughs> zero or less life. You have to be taking infect damage mm-hmm. for this to work. Yep. Or else they'll just beat you down to 
zero. Yep. Um, one more little uh, combo question with Malira. Well, well, actually, remember though that Frexian oh. Unlife, like it, it, uh, once you go to zero, you don't lose. You just take poison damage from then on. Yeah, which you can't do, which is cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, and note that it says zero or less life. Which means that you can be negative, which means you have to get back up below or back up above zero. So you don't, you know, you could be at negative five and have to gain five life just to get to zero. Yep. So if you're on the and then gain life plan, which may not be a good <coughs> plan, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, there's a couple of things. You can be at negative life. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are interesting about magic is that there are there is negative life, which seems a little counterintuitive. And then the other fun fact is that there is negative power as well. So that you know, if you have a one-one and he, uh, or sorry, this is gonna be that was a bad example. If you have like a two-four, and he gets three minus one minus one counters on him, he is actually a negative one-one, <laughs> um, and that basically has to happen because the minus one minus one counters. If you then were to pump him up, say, use a piece of equipment or a giant growth effect. Um, you know, you have to keep the the power level has to be at that negative, so it would actually have to be pumped up by two, you know, to even get positive again. So, yeah. kind of counterintuitive, but definitely a part of magic that you need to keep in mind sometimes because it, you know, it's it, it's not all that normal. Yeah. Um, the other combo was Malira and Glistening Oil, and Glistening Oil is a enchantment and aura for two black mana. Uh, enchanted creature has infect. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, which is you, the controller of glistening, or also the person that casts it, put a minus one counter on enchanted creature. Uh, when glistening oil is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, return it to its owner's hand. Now, what's pretty cool about this, other than, you know, it's a recurable phyresis for your own creatures, but no one's going to play that anyway, is if they have a creature that's beating you, just beating you down, you give that creature infect. Okay? You can then block... Oh, this may not work. No, because it no longer has infect, so you just get beat down the same as you were before. <laughs> you just get beat down. Yep. I guess it's good to give your own creatures infect. But they still get the um, minus one, minus, they'll get the minus one, minus one counters, though. No, creatures you control can't have counters placed on them. No, but if, my, my, my counters placed on. Yeah, but if you put it on one of their creatures, I mean, it would just work as normal. Oh, yeah. yeah it just wouldn't be in fact, but they'd get the minus one, minus ones. Yeah, I mean, it, it will eventually kill them. <laughs> Same as it would before. Yeah, so the name of the game is that bad. Like, <laughs> the most fun I've seen out of this is the Edge Champion, as far as fun. But what's nice about these all these combos is that it's available in limited so it's something to look out for I mean we, we try to talk a little bit about limited and it's it's something to look out for yeah for sure so uh, I was at my local game store today Geneva Games I'm going to say their name probably 30 more times today and you know we're, we're testing decks it's kind of casual magic Wednesday no one's really being super competitive and you know, I, I spend a lot of time looking through other people's decks, what they're playing. And I ask, you know, oh, why are you playing this card? And, you know, they'll go into some explanation of how, oh, if I get this and this, it works really well. And my question always is, why don't just you just play better cards? 
like, and you know, and it's not necessarily more expensive cards or cards you don't have, but just better cards. So my new favorite thing to say is, you know, you know, or when people are asking me, oh, why did you put that card in there instead of this? You know, it's just better. Yeah. <laughs> so when in doubt, like instead of trying to figure out, instead of trying to break bad cards by playing it with other bad cards, just play good cards. Yeah, just. Yeah, do the power level gauge and play with those. (laughs) And if you're, you know, those of you that ask me this question today, that you're listening to this, play better cards. Yeah, so some, uh, that's pretty much good advice. (laughs) One card that I think we should cover that we both think is a pretty damn good card. (laughs) Uh, And that people aren't necessarily hopping on the bandwagon yet is Karn. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah, um, a lot of our testing so far has kind of revolved around blue-white, mono-white, and I'd be remiss to say that Karn is definitely part of those decks, and in fact it's a key part, and it pretty consistently hits the board, and pretty consistently wins games in which he hits the board. Yeah, and I was thinking about it today, and we've been testing, we've been messing with Fencer and these other Planeswalkers, like, specifically, you know, in the current standard, Fencer uh, and Tezzeret are Planeswalkers that need something else to be good. Yeah, so, namely artifacts, uh, as of right now. Yeah, so if you think about the other Planeswalkers, that don't need things to be good. Like the other, you know, that you see being played a lot. Jace just draws you cards. You know, he doesn't need anything else in play to be really good. Gideon does everything. He's a beater, he's a removal spell, he's, he gains you life essentially by fogging, by plussing. And Karn was in the same boat. He you know, you don't need to necessarily have anything in play for him to be good because he just does stuff to your opponent. And in the same way with Koth, you know, I don't necessarily consider a mountain another call. You know, it's a card, it's in play, but you can't have Koth in play without a mountain, so it's kind of, it just happens. Yeah. So, and when you're you know, looking at Planeswalkers, looking at what to play, you know, think what cards do I need to pair with this? And if those cards aren't inherently powerful, maybe it's not worth the move. Yeah, I mean, kind of the discussion that spawned this was I was kept trying to kind of make this Planeswalker control deck, um, you know, kind of like the Super Friends deck of old um, with, you know, Venser and Gideon and Jace and Karn. And basically, the deck got infinitely better when I stopped screwing around with Venser because I was jamming cards into my deck that just weren't that good. Um, like Contagion Clasp, uh, for example, was the one card that I was just coming back to, and I was just like, I just play it, and then it sits there. And if I don't draw Venser, it just sits there, and it's worthless, and it was a waste of my mana and a waste of my turn. Um, you know, or, like, I'd have to day away all my, you know, creatures, and then I'd play Venser, and I'd be, like, blinking a land and feeling stupid. So, whereas I could have been, like, playing Gideon and putting a big threat on the board, or, like, you know, playing my Jace, or, um, even playing, like, a Baneslayer Angel just seemed to be more productive, you know, something that they had to deal with, 
Um, whereas a card that kind of didn't generate enough advantage uh, in every situation. Like, every time I play a Baneslayer Angel, like, it does something extremely relevant. And every time I play Even if Bane... it's just eating a removal spell. Yeah, exactly, because it costs them a card. But, like, every time I played Benser, it like, it wasn't always relevant. Like, it, you know, sometimes you know, it would absorb an attack, you know, because they'd want to kill it, you know, so it didn't get to his ultimate. But, you know... It, it just didn't seem to fit. I'm not saying it's a it's a terrible card. It's a, it's actually a very very fun card to play with, uh, very entertaining. But at the end of the game, it forced me to play cards which were subpar, and, and that made for you know me to have a, a worse deck. And it's when I cut that card and kind of brought back, you know, some more kind of powerful cards in their own right that the deck finally took off and and kind of became, you know, the deck it was supposed to be. Yeah, so, I mean, like it is, like, we, we talked about the the process we use to evaluate, you know, cards and their their playability. Um, so, it's it goes back to that, you know, if, if the card's not playable and there's a better option, you know, don't, you don't necessarily have to play it. And I was talking with, you know, Kyle at Lake TV Games today, and, you know, what's, what's like, the, one of the coolest things you can do with Benzer? And that's blink the spine, right, to, to vindicate permanence. And I was like, well, you know, it's like there's there's a lot of removal for permanence or for artifacts. Wouldn't you just want to pay the seven mana and play Karn to do the same thing? So I mean, you, you, Karn kind of took the best thing. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't you rather kind of? Thing. Well, the other problem too is that Venser costs five, and then like spine costs seven. So, yeah, so you know, there's like a cost me five more mana. Yeah, there's like a there's like a lead time there where you're not doing anything. So wouldn't you rather spend like your first six turns setting up a situation in which Karn can come out safely and and dominate the board? You know, like and that's kind of what I did with this Walker Control deck. I mean, the list isn't too complicated, so I don't mind sharing it. But it was kind of like it played walls and defensive creatures, you know, until they overcommitted their position, and all of them had card advantage. So we're talking Wall of Omens, we're talking Seagate Oracles, you know. And then you could day away, or or you know Gideon, or or you know you're probably playing Jace at some point during this time, preordaining yourself in a card advantage, you know, maybe countering anything they had that was big. And eventually setting up, you know, a day of judgment that just wiped their board and enabled you to play, you know, a backbreaking planeswalker like Gideon or Karn the next turn, you know, into like an almost empty board. And by the way, if you have Gideon and Karn out at the same time, like you will not lose. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, then and that's like the ultimate situation is that you're not only did you curve out and you kind of had a plan from the first turn, which is an integral part of deck, you know, building. Uh, you know, it also enabled you to control the board with only one card. Yeah, I love me some card. I got my fourth one today. I'm a happy camper. I think three is the right answer in a deck. He's pretty expensive. Yeah, I think, I think three is definitely the right answer. Uh, you draw him enough with some frequency, and then actually you can just kind of double vindicate and not worry, you know, just, and just you'll be fine because you have a second one in your hand. You know, if that's it the necessary the answer. That's the planeswalker I've enjoyed the most, chaining. Yeah, so. Hard. So, yeah, so uh, we obviously like him. Um, he's not for everybody, but if you can make him work, 
and you enjoy playing with something that seems pretty powerful, um, pick yourself up a few of them and, uh, and enjoy. Yeah, it's a card I, I anticipate the price increase. I mean, it's sitting between 30 and $35 right now. Um, don't hold me to it, but I, don't, I, I, I see it being a $40-ish card. So it's not going to break the bank if you don't get them now. It's another 5 or 10 bucks. But if you can get them now, you get them now. Yeah, for sure. So a um, couple exciting things as we wrap up here. Uh, we have a giveaway that we're doing. So well, I want you to talk about that, what we're looking for, and uh, what you could possibly win um, You know, for helping us out. Yeah, okay, so to be entered in our in the giveaway, it's it's two easy steps. You need to comment on this podcast on mtgcast.com. Uh, yep, so all you gotta do is drop a comment. <laughs> any comment. Yeah, drop, any constructive yeah, feedback. Yeah, drop a comment with your Twitter name in there and then add us to Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is at WTV4TH. And, and Trevor is at Trevor Isham. I-S-H-A-M add us and then once we line up who's added us and who's on the podcast your name's going to be entered in a drawing and we're giving away for this this first giveaway is a play set of mental missteps which may not sound too exciting it's an uncommon but the price is already going up it's a must play in Legacy unless you're mono blue for some reason you don't have to play it at yeah basically this card has nowhere to go but up uh, it's basically $16 of value right now, which is pretty sweet. Um, but if you look at Laron Legacy and realize the cheapest cards in Legacy are 4 bucks, and this is going to be an auto 4 of for 90% of the decks out there, um, you know, just think about that for a few minutes and realize it's probably going to be a 40 or $50 card at some point. <laughs> so yeah, we're so offering we're a play line, set. So take these, set them to the side. You know, if, if you ask, we'll sign. You know, I'll sign too. Trevor will sign too. If you think any, we're going to go anywhere, we'll give you the, the free benefit of the doubt if you want it. If not, that's fine too. But, you know, give us, you know, shoot us a comment in the show notes. Add us to Twitter. You know, I, you know, at least have funny things to say most days of the week on Twitter. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, and, so. And also the easiest way to get in touch with us. I, you know, I know both of us, our phone just you know, just lights up when we get, you know, a question on Twitter. We can shoot you back. It's a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so look for us on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, so that's our that's our cast for this week. Um, we'll be, uh, next week, we'll be tuning in. Um, we're going to have a segment on deck construction. Um, for any of you builders out there that kind of want to know our philosophy on how we build decks. Um, and kind of the kind of three different methods you can use. So we're going to kind of go through that as uh, part of our section. So look for that next week. Um, as always, uh, play at Lake Geneva Games uh, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Uh, Jason is a great guy and continues to support us and our cast. And uh, we love his events, and they go smoothly and are a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll be drafting there on Friday, which uh, in my time is two days from now, and yours is probably later on tonight. I'll be drafting there Friday night at 6. Uh, yeah. New Phyrexia draft. Pretty excited. Come out. He's actually giving away, and I have to him his prizes. Every Friday he has a ridiculous prize giveaway. One week it was a pound of bacon. One week it was a chicken dinner. And the old, you know, and if you won, you just had to say winner, winner, chicken dinner, and take your chicken home with you. And that was me. That was a lot of fun. 
But yeah. so he always gives out ridiculous prices. This week is a Thor <coughs> Pez dispenser and extra Pez refills. Wow, that's pretty sick. So, and this is on top of you know packs and <laughs> promo cards and giveaways and door You'll prizes. You'll still get those. <laughs> So, yeah, you still get all the good stuff. He's not just jipping you and keeping the F&M card. You still get your F&M card. You still get, you know, random promos. He actually, he has a cool thing where he, you know, he rolls a die, and then whoever comes up on the roll throws a, six, a big six-sider, and it's one of six packs. And I know right now there's uh, some older packs, but there's World Wake packs in there. There's Zendikar packs in there. So there's packs, you know, World Wake is like an $8 pack, and you can get it just by drafting and, getting a little lucky. Yes, for sure. And then also, if you're in the Illinois area, Rogers Park, check out Evil Squirrel Comics. Uh, they have magic events uh, all weekend long. They do releases, pre-releases. Um, a great place to play. Uh, and also, they have uh, a lot of comics. So if you're into that as well, uh, definitely a sweet place to play. Um, and then lastly, uh, the Dice Dojo is also in uh, Chicago. It's called also known as Chicagoland Games. Um, another great place to play. Uh, that's where you'll find me for uh, most FNMs um, down here in Chicago. So, and lastly, we have a personal shout out for the members of Team Ronin. Uh, congratulations wow. on successful pre-releases and release days. As we uh, finished uh, five out of the possible eight top four spots both days, which is pretty sweet. And a special shout-out to Dan Deja for his first uh, winning tournament appearance uh, with Team Ronin uh, at the release party. So, and he actually he, he had a, a record tie with another member of Team Ronin who beat him in the Swiss. <laughs> so uh, a special little shout-out to John for coming so close and losing to ridiculous tiebreakers. I know. Tiebreakers suck, John. They're a bitch. <laughs> anyway that's our cast hope you liked it comment below if you want to win some mental missteps and tune in next week as we talk about deck construction deck building and uh, our process and we will reveal one of our deck lists that we've been working on a lot lately so hope you enjoyed bum, it bum, bum. see you next week bye guys